only a paper moon Hanging over a cardboard seat But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believe in me It is only a canvas sky we're back, and we're keen to hear from our DJs at KDVS about what they think uh, you should be hearing uh, before you die in the way of recordings. Well, I think what I'd like to do is uh, wait to hear a few more, uh, a few more comments from, um, from my fellow DJs, and then next week talk to uh, our resident musicologist, Rick Ely, and others about what they think you ought to hear. I want to take off where we left off in the first segment about uh, Campaign uh, 08, one of its most astonishing moments has been Carl Rove coming forward to say that he thinks the McCain campaign has gone too far when it's trying to claim in an ad that Barack Obama was trying to promote the teaching of sex education to kindergartners. Said Rove, the, the prince of darkness of American politics in recent years, well, the McCain campaign has so many good things to run on it, it shouldn't be resorting to that sort of stuff. Here's a comment that caught my eye. Apparently, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was a little bit uh, ticked at Sarah Palin's uh, uh, quote in her acceptance speech, which was, by the way, written for her by one of George W. Bush's speechwriters. Kennedy noted that in this speech, Sarah Palin approvingly quoted uh, the moral superiority of small-town values uh, as expressed by the writer Westbrook Pegler. Pegler was noted for being somewhat right-wing. RFK Jr. calls him a fascist. Of course, I think he does have a bit of a right to be peeved at, uh, at Mr. Pegler and, and therefore uh, Governor Palin because when his father, Robert F. Kennedy, contemplated his run for the presidency in 1965, Pegler wrote, Some white patriot of the southern tier will splatter his spoonful of brains in public premises before the snow flies. Nice. It is interesting to note that in the wake of everyone claiming we should not overly regulate Wall Street right now, that back in the 1980s, when you know, the SNLs basically melted down, that to Arizona Senator John McCain was one of the Keating Five people who uh, used their Senate position to effectively intervene and press regulators to not get involved. Of the Keating Five, McCain was the only one who didn't lose uh, his, uh, his seat in the Senate or go to jail. I want to thank Robin for the email alerting us to the uh, Huffington Post item about, uh, about the McCains. Previous to that, I was unaware of the fact uh, that Charles Keating apparently had some business involvement with Cindy McCain back then. The article cited a San Francisco bank regulator who felt that McCain had gotten off too lightly uh, given the obvious conflict of interest between his wife and the jailed SNL head uh, Keating. And if you're curious about some of the particulars, we ought to mention that apparently uh, Cindy McCain and her father invested $360,000 in a Keating shopping center in April of 1986, one year before McCain met with regulators. Curiously, John McCain, his family, and their babysitter made nine trips at Keating's expense, sometimes aboard his personal jet. We want to note that some of the best election coverage continues to be from The Economist, UK publication. On a weekly basis, they're analyzing the various swing states in America. And we want to, want to note that uh, our former general manager, Stephen Valentino, now working for the Leonard Lopate show on WNYC, wrote to say he was playing with 270towin.com and found out numerous scenarios wherein the Electoral College locks up 
in a 269-269 to 269 tie. I must say it's interesting that the state of Nebraska breaks up its electors into various uh, various districts. And therefore, if, uh, if Barack Obama were to, say, carry Omaha, he would then get one electoral vote out of Nebraska's total. Nebraska and Maine are, I believe, the only states that break up their electors and don't deliver them in a block vote, which means that uh, it makes it less likely you'll see a tie scenario. Now, in the event of a tie, the president is chosen by the House. But then it's the new House that takes office in January that makes that vote. So God knows what will happen. We stress that a tie is extraordinarily unlikely uh, also because of the fact that although half the states have laws against being a faithless elector, in other words, you go there and decide at the last minute you're going to vote whoever you, whoever you damn well please, this will not necessarily stop uh, the outcome. In fact, it will not stop the outcome. Writing in a blog on 270towin.com, a woman named Emily noted that although states may have laws to, to try and prevent this, that even if they made it a capital crime to vote for someone other than who the state was supposed to give its electors to, the result still counts. Oh, and by the way, there are many historical precedents for people at the last moment, electors going in and deciding they weren't going to vote for who they were pledged to vote for. In other words, if it came down to a 269 to 269 tie, any, any of the 538 electors would have it within his power to throw the election the other way. Uh, and it turns out that in the House they vote by delegations. In other words, you know, whichever party has the majority of that state's delegation, they just go down the list. If there's a, a majority of Democrats uh, going, to the, going to the Congress from California, that's one vote in the D column. If Wyoming, with its small population, has a majority of electors going to the Republican Congress, in other words, they're one congressman, well, oddly enough, they also get one vote. If we tally up all these delegations right now, it's apparently 27 Democrat, 21 Republican, and two ties. And we just hope to God such chaos never ensues. All right, we're running out of time. How much time we got left, Mr. McMillan? Four minutes. Okay, four minutes. I'd like to note the, uh, the nice write-up The Week magazine gave, Trick or Treatment by Simon Singh and Edzard Ernst. Dr. Simon was, of course, our guest on last week's program. They quoted Juliet Lapidos in the New York Observer, noting that their takedowns of homeopathy, acupuncture, and herbal and chiropractic remedies are scrupulous and convincing. Two days after that show aired, I was in my clinic, and a patient brought in a medicine that she said was not helping her at all. It was a homeopathic remedy. I explained to her that she just bought an expensive little bottle of water. There was some news last week about, uh, about Ethel Rosenberg, who was executed back in 1953 for passing atomic secrets to the Soviets. Uh, um, well, it turned out that her brother was pressured to lie under oath about whether she'd, uh, she'd typed up some of the notes passed to the Soviets, and apparently he did so. The Soviets received handwritten notes, meaning that uh, Ethel Rosenberg apparently never typed them up. So does that mean she was in innocent of spying? No, no, no. We will talk about this on next week's program. 
I, I would hasten to note that I would agree with death penalty opponents that in this case it was misapplied. She should not have received capital punishment for her role in passing along the atomic secrets. That is not, however, the same thing as being an innocent person. I remember a conversation back when I was in medical school with my roommate whose parents were in the FBI and had been, had been peripherally involved with the case, and they just said, oh, uh, the Rosenbergs were so guilty. This correspondent is currently finishing up uh, Richard Rhodes' excellent book on the development of the hydrogen bomb, which talks at great length about how spies for the Soviet Union enabled them to build both the A-bomb and H-bomb on, with, with investing pennies in the dollar. News item last week about them finding some lost cities in the Amazon. I must say that one of the most fascinating lectures at the Harlan II Symposium was about how the Mayans had failed in their civilization efforts. Uh, and that's something else I'm afraid I'm going to have to put off till next week. To note in passing, I was very saddened by the fact that the distinguished author Jared Diamond, who we've tried many times to bring on this program, was at the conference. Unfortunately, he elected to... Um, to not permit me to record his remarks. All right. If we're going to save this world from global warming, it looks as though we're going to have to do it ourselves. Uh, two possible ways might be to, A, rely more upon wind power. But uh, regarding wind power, there's been a recent study showing that bats are apparently getting killed when they fly through the turbines, not necessarily hitting the turbines, but the drop in uh, air pressure from the spinning blades apparently gives them the bends. So there's a technical problem to solve. If we're going to put wind turbines all over the countryside, uh, well, there's going to be hell to pay with the bat and probably bird populations uh, uh, unless we find some solutions to, you know, what those spinning blades are doing. And on a happier note, uh, the B side of things we might do is uh, something that the Sacramento Bee noted on Sunday. And if you don't already do this, please consider getting a clothesline. They can be purchased at virtually any hardware store. You string up a clothesline in your backyard or possibly even in your house and, uh, and, and, and basically take advantage of California's weather to dry your clothes without using uh, any energy from the electrical grid or alternatively burning any gas. It's such a simple thing. If you're not already doing it, please go down to your hardware store this week and buy yourself a clothesline. And that is it for today's program. This show was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks to NPR's Tom Moon for today's program, and we hope on next week's show we'll be bringing you one of the two authors of Web of Conspiracy, a guide to conspiracy theory sites on the Internet. I would like to note in closing that uh, you can put conspiracy theory in quotation marks because uh, they do actually take... uh, some of what are called conspiracy theories, seriously. As uh, John Dean pointed out in this program some years back, uh, he doesn't believe in conspiracy theories unless they're real. That's it. We'll see you next week at the same time. (laughs) 